1: everybody, Welcome back to the MVM show. This is Titus, your host, and I got a great guest on today. I don't want to steal all his accolades that maybe he wants to say or can mention, but <clears throat> I know how it is sometimes you don't want to say stuff about yourself. So I look some stuff up and I'd like to bring it up real quick before we really introduce him. But we've got Brad Jones from Willow Creek Custom Calls. And just to kind of mention like, some real quick his awards and he's got a lot more than this but just a few off the top uh, he's won the 2014 international working canada goose competition he's 2015 california waterfowl national call maker first place for decorative 2015 california waterfowl national call maker competition he's won first place on that with a bamboo cane call 2015 california waterfowl national callmaker competition duck call of the year and like a ton more than that that was just a few i named off the place so we got somebody here with 40 plus years of experience and in california local callmaker brad jones thank you brad for coming on the show today
2: thank you titus uh glad to be here appreciate uh, the opportunity
1: yes i'm i'm super stoked about this and we got some some stuff later on that I want to bring up, uh, but we'll save it to later. We want to get right into. Why don't you just tell us, like everywhere people can find you: website, Instagram, Facebook, like anything you have where people can go check you out.
2: Uh, yeah, so um, I'm on Instagram mostly. Uh, my Instagram posts uh, carry over to Facebook, but uh, uh, you know I'm at Willow Creek Custom Calls on on Instagram, and then www.willowcreekcustomcalls.com is my website and uh you know basically you can go on my website and play around with all the different uh colors combinations whatever um you know guys there's thousands of different ways to put together a call on my website so um that's pretty much my avenues i don't really do retail um for various reasons but um um yeah so instagram and and uh and my website and Facebook are the are best channels.
1: Okay, perfect. And I think after you guys hear our conversation, this call, you're definitely going to want to go check that out. Like I said, go follow him on Instagram. He's, his calls, your calls, Brad, are <laughs> pretty insane, honestly. I've never even seen some of the things that you've done, especially with metal and stuff, like different types of metals and and just the color combinations. It's pretty, pretty uh, top-notch, I can tell you that right now. So you guys definitely... Just go check him out. If you're not on Instagram, like you said, go to his website, willowcreekcustomcalls.com and just see the combinations. And from what uh, our conversations have been, you can pretty much, if you can think it, if someone can think it, you can almost do it pretty much, right? The colors
2: are real. I'll make make it. I'll make it happen. Um, Yeah, it's a a passion that's uh, right below duck hunting itself. Wow. Um, You know, it's something that keeps my mind off of shooting ducks every day was, yeah, uh, I bet. so well yeah.
1: let's go into like growing up kind of your childhood growing up and then kind of follow that into like how did you get into hunting waterfowl and all that stuff
2: yeah so um my dad was obviously my the biggest influence influencer of, of uh, my waterfowl hunting career um my dad started hunting in the uh, Late fifties, uh, he moved out here from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, he met up with some guys that uh, he worked in the Silicon Valley. Met up with some guys that were hunting uh, an area called Lambertville, and I'm sure many people know where that is. It's it borders the, It's basically a, uh, it's a huge ranch between the Sacramento National Wildlife Refuge and uh, the Delavan National Wildlife Refuge, and it expands over about. Just under seven thousand acres, uh, and it's called Willow Creek Ranch. They have their own uh, water company, Willow Creek Mutual Water Company, and there's about a hundred duck clubs sprawled out across that that area. And uh, that's where my dad kind of first started hunting, and uh, you know he started leasing blinds, and then he jumped from. know leasing blinds to an ownership in a club and then he bought into another club and eventually we ended up at a at a, a small 52 acre duck club that was close to the border of the sacramento national wildlife refuge and uh that club was called the office duck club and uh uh so i started hunting probably i was eight years old right around 1980. So I'm 50 now. And, okay. um, uh, so I just, I just went through my 42nd waterfowl season and, um, you know, I spent probably the first, I'm going to say 25 years, 30 years, uh, you know, pretty much hunting my, my duck club only, uh, with my family.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: It was my brother and my dad and I, and my sister could tag along once in a while. And, you know, we had this beat up old cabin in Lambertville, and it was really a great waterfowl community, you know, of, of guys that have families and guys that have been there a long time. And, and, you know, in the eighties were, were great. You know, I was a little kid running around and there were lots of kids and, uh, it was kind of a, you know, really family atmosphere, uh-huh. you know, and then the nineties we had, you know, we kind of witnessed our, you know, this, this massive influx of, of birds, you know, cause we had, I think we had a four or five bird limit in the eighties for a little while. And then, and then by the mid nineties, you know, the population was, was through the roof. And, um, and then you, and then you, bring on spinning wing and that's Uh a whole nother topic but uh um you know it was just a it was an awesome area that you know growing up and we'd shoot limits of ducks you know all the time almost Uh every day and Uh i always swore that that area per acre shot more ducks during that time than anywhere else in the state Uh you know but you know, we had the, we had the numbers, we had, you know, Sacramento refuge, Delvin refuge and
1: just
3: surrounding we the, you,
2: huh? Yeah, we were, you know, and there's rice everywhere. And, um, uh, you know, this is before, uh, um, you know, before we were flooding rice fields in the wintertime and, and doing the decomp water and all that. And there was actually a flyway between Delvin refuge and Sacramento refuge. And huh. man, it was just, it was just a great place to to grow up and shoot ducks and everybody everybody was super friendly and um you know knew each other and we had this uh i gotta mention this guy's name we had this uh, uh this guy his name was uh jack mcmill's he was kind of like our our uh he was the czar of lamberville and jack was a uh, brigadier general in the um uh, in the air force or excuse me in the in the uh, military and um, And he was a law enforcement officer in the summertime. He worked, uh, you know, the sheriff's department at Clear Lake. And then he was over at at Lambertville and, uh, and he kept that place, you know, tight as a whistle, Uh you know, the game wardens never bothered us. And, and Jack would always make sure everybody was kind of in check. And, and, uh, it was kind of, it was a, it was a neat deal. You know, it was, uh, the day Jack passed away was a, was a sad day. You know, a lot of guys liked him and, a lot of guys didn't like him, but he was uh, he was a, he was one of those characters in waterfowl world that uh you know bless his heart he was a he was a he was a great man and he served our country and uh-huh. and uh, you know we missed him in those days but but uh, it was kind of neat you know Lamberville was, was kind of neat and so uh you know I, after the nineties uh you know I finished up in college in ninety six and and uh, I started hanging around different guys and kind of kind of exploring different waterfowl avenues and you know and and um uh, lamberville was was very friendly at the time and uh and you would go over to other guys' house and they'd tell you stories about other guys going here or there and and then in the 2000s is uh kind of when when guys started going up to uh washington at a place called eagle lakes uh, uh-huh. ranch and uh, you know you hear these stories about these mallard shoots and these, in these flooded corn ponds and everything. And so, um, you know, big, big waterfowl influencer in my life was a gentleman named Yancey Forest Knowles. And, um, he's been a family friend for, you know, 60 years. And, uh, a lot of people in the industry know him. Uh, he's a, he's a book writer. He's a historian. You know, he's, a, he's actually a guy that, that really interesting, uh, uh, guy and knowledge of, about the industry and and it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt to have him on your show sometime Titus because uh he's probably more knowledgeable on duck clubs in California's you know than anybody that uh that I've ever known so uh-huh. but uh, so I started going on these trips you know and it started kind of opening my eyes to uh, a whole new level and perspective of waterfowl hunting. Um, going up to Washington and hunting with these older guys, you know that that are absolute killers, and you know and you know I know you know and I know that everybody thinks they're the greatest waterfowler in the world, and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you know and it's really kind of a wake up call when you start exploring out and mm-hmm. hunting with other guys and uh, guys that have been hunting you know twice as long as you have and um, kind of seeing different. Different areas and new ground and all that, and I know you've you and you and your brother have been kind of exploring out there outside of California a little bit in the last few years. And um, I know you can attest to, you know, how great it is to explore and, mm-hmm. and find new waterfall avenues. So, so that really, uh I really woke up, you know, kind of opened my eyes, and I found myself, you know, seeing Lamberville change, and I seeing kind of the whole waterfowl world change and um and so eventually i kind of moved away from you know hunting one spot all the time and you know started using my duck club yet less and less and less and you know and so it was kind of a matter of of just getting out there and exploring and finding new things and that you know and and meeting new people and you know, it was just kind of one day, Yancey, Yancey and I were hunting together, and he was talking about this guy making cane calls in Louisiana, and uh, and I said, you know, I'd really like to make a duck call someday, and he just kind of encouraged me to go buy a wood lathe and give it a try and see what happens, and so, you know, that's kind of how I, I broke into making duck calls, and and that's kind of a a snapshot of my, uh, you know. Uh-huh. leading up to 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 what ultimately became willow creek custom calls and and why the name willow creek custom calls is uh so you know we're we're the property is called willow creek ranch uh-huh. where, where the duck clubs are and then what borders willow creek ranch is actually a willow creek uh, which runs between um kind of delavan and Sac refuge closer to delavan uh, if you've ever been down four-mile road, you go right up mm-hmm. Willow Creek. And, um, and that's kind of how I came up with the name. Um, you know, a little bit of nostalgia just growing up there. And um, I later learned that there's about a Willow Creek in every corner of California and Oregon <laughs> and Washington. <laughs>
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> so... so um, how so long yeah. you
1: been doing well, them, Brad? How long you been making calls now?
2: So I started... Uh, I started like around 2011, 2012, Uh um, you know, the end of 2012, I actually started selling them and, you know, for anybody that's ever thinking about going into making calls, I think, you know, my biggest regret is that, you know, I didn't have a mentor or somebody to show me how to make calls or teach me, you know, any, any tricks. I was basically, you know, my first YouTube video was watching Rick Dunn of Echo Calls, spent a wood call on youtube Mm. and uh that was kind of you know got my juices flowing and to go get a lathe and 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 go do it but um you know my my biggest regret is is probably not coming out with you know a product that is a hundred percent rock solid right in the very beginning Uh. i was turning barrels and and putting echo echo stuffers in it and a lot of guys start off this way and it's fine but you know later later on i realized that you know the the guys that really come out of the gate strong they they kind of do all their r and d and they come out with a product you know a beautiful product right out of the gate mm. you know and and, um, and that's that's my only piece of recommendation if somebody somebody's going to get into the duck hall you know making world um it's so competitive now mm, and there's yeah. so many guys doing it um Luckily, not too many on the West Coast, and I'll I'll, I'll touch a little bit ab- about that. But, um, y- you know, you know, if you're going to come out with a product, make sure it's a banger, right? You know, uh-huh. uh, because it's taken me 12 years to get to where I'm at now, and um, I'm finally, you know, my spec call is 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 you know that's my bread and butter right now. It's uh-huh. it's really a great call. It's user friendly. Um, you know, I'm a duck hunter at heart. I love to chase mallards. You know, I love the art of, of fooling a, a, a greenhead duck. Um, you know, and that's, that's where my number one passion in the whole wide world is. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the, the goose calls, um, you know, I can talk a little bit about all the different calls I make, but uh, I've been doing it for about 12 years and, uh, and uh, um. You know, I pride myself on fit and finish and sound. Um, it is. It started as a hobby. It really kind of still is a hobby. Uh, it's just a really busy one. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, I've I've got a family life here at home and, mm-hmm. and a teenage daughter. And you know, there's weekend sports and right. Um, and you got
1: a? Do you have a full time job too on top of this? Yeah. So yeah. I
2: had a, a construction business all the way up to about 2019. You know, my dad. He he, uh, he started getting sick, and so I kind of, kind of, you know, took some time off, and and then um, and then you know, our family took care of him until he passed in, in 2021 in January 2021. And so, um, you know, I hadn't I haven't really worked, you know, the construction side in the last three years, but you know, thankfully I've been so busy in the duck hole shop. Um, it's kind of you know carried me through and yeah. got me through some hard times and and just being able to you know focus on the calls and uh, waiting on the next duck season mm-hmm. so yeah.
1: yeah yeah like you said it kind of it, you said I think you said keeps your mind off it but it probably it's not that I guess because if you're making calls you're probably thinking about waterfowl but it it basically keeps you in that almost happy state of like the place that you love the most, which is hunting waterfowl and making calls. I'm assuming if I was thinking yeah. myself doing, it kind of keeps you just in that for, forever revolving waterfowl. Duck never ends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that and that's great. And that's why I think, you know, like I do, uh, you know, the podcast and other things because it's just, it's nice talking about it. I it never, I'm not a seasonal duck hunter. Like I, I think about it year round, you know, so. I think that making calls is such an awesome deal to be able to stay in touch with that.
2: It is, it is, and um, you know the amount of hours, the thousands of hours I have put into uh, trying to perfect the sound and, mm-hmm. and um, you know building the perfect call. It, you never stop learning, you never stop trying, and um, you know since since I'm a one man show. It's tough to balance, you know, life, uh, duck call making, duck yeah. hunting. You know, you, you get so busy during duck season, you don't want to give up. Mm-hmm. I got into making calls because I love to to waterfowl hunt. I didn't get into calls to stop waterfowl hunting. So yeah, you know, I kind of I kind of have this thing where every you know mid December I close the shop until February first, and that's really only because uh, if I don't go out and do some waterfowling i'm gonna go crazy right so (laughs) yeah so that's you know um that's the downside of just being a one-man show is that you can't go to all the shows that you want to go to and Mm. um, you know you look at you look at a company you know and and i'm gonna just drop some other call makers uh names you know you look at a company like pacific calls they're up in washington those guys started the same time i did and they i've just watched them grow you know and and they've taken their, their business to a whole different level. I mean, they have, you know, three CNC machines and they, they've got uh, a destination call shop, uh, which will be the first on the West coast. Um, they're just getting ready to open that. Huh. And, you know, but you look at the support they have there, you know, there's two partners, there's, you know, they have a bunch of guys, pro staff, employees, whatever, and that's really what it takes is to put together a big team to be able to go out there and kind of be that next level, you know, call. Uh So, you know, there's that, there's a big difference between small shop and, and, and kind of big shop, you know, Uh and there's, there's some big shops that have come on board in the, in the call, call world in the last, you know, five years that have come out of nowhere. Uh And, um, and really on the West coast, we're we're fortunate as call makers we don't have a whole lot of competition Mm -hmm. you know there's there's a handful of us out here and um and we've all kind of got our own niche and Mm -hmm. doing our own thing and um uh but you go back to arkansas tennessee you know the 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 mid the midwest Mm -hmm. and i think every tom dick and harry's a call maker out there right and uh you know, the market's gotten really saturated out there. And uh-huh. so at this point in the game, it's, it's all about, you know, quality for me and uh, just producing a call that people can go out and, and, and have a great day waterfowling Cause that's, that's what it is, you know, for me. And, and uh, you know, I started with, I started with an Iverson call when I was, when I was a kid, you know, my, uh-huh. my dad blew all Iversons and, everybody around us blew Iversons and then uh and then I started going to the San Mateo uh Sportsman's Expo in the 80s um and Joe Lairs was there uh-huh. and he'd have a little table set up and uh you know every, every year I'd go by there and he'd show you how to run his calls and you know I'd buy a car or whatever and I blew a Lairs for you know 25 years uh-huh. and, and uh you know, that's kinda it's that's just kinda how how I got into, you know, duck calling and, and whatnot. Huh.
1: And uh Well that's what I was gonna say is you you guys on the West Coast, though there be few, you guys are I feel like are really strong and like you said, your niche because um those of you and I I'm glad you brought up layers because that's like my favorite as far as duck call goes, but it's like you like you with your calls and not it's not just Like looking at your calls that look good, they sound amazing, and all your awards and accolations follow that. So there's something there to be said. And uh, actually, the first time I heard your call, it was a spec call, and Kevin had it. It was Mm -hmm. that that, uh, Patriots call that you did for him. Uh, I don't remember. What's the color of that green that you did on that?
2: Oh, I call it Ditch Pickle Green just because I like to bass fish. But uh, it's like a clear, you know, bassy color green. Mm. And I, he, he, anyways, he had
1: that that bird was up there so low that speck way up there, like two hundred yards up more. I got on video and he just started hammering that thing, and that that speck just dumped in there. And uh, Thomas ended up shooting it, but that was the first. And I told Kevin then that was actually two seasons ago. I am like, I am getting, I am getting one of those calls. <laughs> Not only <are> they <laughs> sick and custom, but um, they sound amazing. And I've heard a lot of things about how easy they are to run too.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, they are. And that that you know the spec call was kind of my breakout call where um you know that that was the first time that 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 all of a sudden my phone started ringing like crazy mm-hmm. and orders started popping up like crazy and uh you know I knew I was onto something when you know an old guy would call me up and go hey my my friend john johnny over here he had a you know he had a <laughs> one of your spec calls and I you let me try it that's that's the first spec call i've been able to 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 run in you know 25 years and huh. you know so so really my you know my spec call it, it's really that it's really difficult to make a call that one call fits all mm-hmm. you know um you know like a layers not everybody can blow a layers not everybody Mm. can blow a willow creek and you know not everybody can blow an echo or an rnt or whatever it's you know the the best duck call is the one that fits you the Mm. best Mm. and um and so on the spec call it was it was really nice to kind of have a breakout where it was it, it was it was a great sounding call um and i was trying to develop a call that that broke the specs over water versus, you know, kind of the, the open field style call. Uh, I mean, there's, you know, there's Riceland, there's, there's Redbone and there's a few others that, that really, you know, developed that call, uh, long before I did. And so I was trying to, I was trying to find that tone where specs like to react a little bit over water, like marsh, you know, Butte sting, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, you know, marshy, marshy ponds and stuff like that, because that's, that's where I grew up on specks. And we, we used to, we used to run honker call on specks yeah. in the marsh and we could break them with the honker call. And so I knew that specks kind of reacted a little bit differently in the marsh than they did in the rice fields. And, um, that was that, you know, my very first spec call was the, was the Thule spec call. And, um, uh, and then, you know, I knew I had to do some improvements over that. And, you know, once I figured out this gut system and all the modifications, um, you know, it, it it really became my breakout call. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I also developed a brand call. Um, that's all, you know, that's a whole nother story of mm-hmm. how I got into the I went down to Mexico with Ramsey Russell at Get GetDucks.com. And, uh, we were down there and we were running a hawker call and some brand geese. And, uh, I knew that, that we could get that sound. And, you know, that was, uh, I had a, I had a kid that worked for me and, uh, the kid turned into an adult and he actually would come over and we'd have beers once in a while in the evening in the shop. And so we were, we were fussing around with the, with some guts. And so I made a double read brand call and I, I hit that thing in the shop and I looked at him and he looked at me and he goes, that's it. And, uh, and it's been phenomenal that the whole brand call run, um, you know, and that turned into the Atlantic Brant, and those guys on the East coast have just gone crazy over the, the brand calls. I was going to
1: ask you about that <clears throat> later on. I was going to get into the brand thing because, um, <clears throat> i me and Tom's been wanting to go brand hunt for the last three years, kind of do it on our own. Maybe that's not the right way to do it. Maybe we just need to, Hook up with somebody or something, but what's that like? Uh, it it looks seems pretty exciting to hunt brant and like, what's your experience in that and like using your calls and just kind of the whole gamut of that.
2: Well, first of all, the the uh, I know how much you like to shoot mallards, right? Mm-hmm. And and when you get a mallard or group of mallards, you just do it. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's nothing else like it in the world. Right. Right. Um. But Brant are a very close second. You know, you can get a group of Brant to come in, you know, cupped up like mallards, um, and it's just phenomenal. Huh. I mean, um, once we figured out that the Brant were reacting to the sound like we like they were down in Mexico, I knew I had to come out with something. And uh, uh, you know, the next year we went back and and I brought the Brant calls. It was. It was like a total game changer, you know. Our first volley we had, there was four of us in the blind. And I called in this group of a seventeen, and um, one left at the end, and wow. it was like, wow, that was that was crazy. And, wow, oh,
1: you know, that's and crazy. It's, are it's, they <laughs> are they hard to? So you've done it in Mexico. Have you done it in California, like
2: on our coast? I have done it in California. And, is uh, it tough? It, it's tough. I mean, is it because the competition Brant's or the brand? what's that is
1: it because of the competition of other hunters or is it just the brand here in general
2: oh the, there's a lot a lot of other hunters and and brand hunters are uh they're a different breed
3: uh-huh. mean, anybody will tell you
2: that that uh, brand hunters are they're really serious about their game and uh you know their spot i mean the spot is everything when it comes to brand hunting uh-huh. so um yeah, I've done some California brand hunting, you know, uh, Tomales Bay, Humboldt Bay, that that sort of thing. That's that's kind of the, you know, Morro Bay is, is another place you can brand hunt in California. But um uh it, it you know, it's not Mexico. You can only shoot two here. Uh-huh. Um if if you get two, you you had a great day. Uh-huh. Uh, if you just even see some brant, sometimes you had a great day. Wow. But um it's it's definitely a fun waterfowl experience i shoot bran over over divers any day or anything like that huh. uh, just because they're they're like a mallard they're just challenging to get in and but once they do it it's it's stupid uh. you know and they're not they're not the smartest bird in the world uh it's just it's just you got to have product you know like like phil robertson says uh you got to go where the ducks are uh. <laughs> yeah. sort of thing yeah. although although i was listening to your uh Kirk McCullough podcast the other day and uh he said he likes to hunt where uh, where there's few birds and uh i really i really found that really interesting concept i don't know if you remember that
1: oh yeah i've <laughs> me and thomas off air i've had a lot of <laughs> conversations about that because it does make it, it is interesting and most people don't think that way but i know why he's saying that too you know at the same time yeah yes yeah yes definitely and you'd have to you'd have to to be there done that to understand that i guess and it it makes complete sense but yeah that's funny you caught that like real guys that really spent a lot of time thinking about waterflying caught that
2: (laughs) yeah yeah and i was i was kind of you know when phil robertson talked about you got you know you got to, you got to hunt where the ducks are at and that you know that makes a lot of sense but Mm -hmm. uh kind of like what kirk said the people follow the ducks too Mm -hmm. now and so you go hunt where all the ducks are at, you're going to be hunting with all the people. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
1: well, I want to go, um, kind of change. We're still calls, but I want to kind of change the uh, direction here. I want to ask your thoughts. I didn't even notice till I was going through your site again, just to see if there was anything <clears throat> that I hadn't caught looking at it before, but I noticed that you made a California cut down and I want to talk about that, but let's, we're gonna we're gonna probably be here for a little bit. I have a feeling, but <clears throat> let's start. Let me ask you this first: What's your thoughts on a cut down versus a
2: J frame? Like- well, the cut the cut down call was originally you know um, pioneered in Arkansas, mm-hmm. and it was, and I'm not a great duck call historian, but I do know that the, the cut down you know was developed for, for the timber t- timber to be um, to be loud. You know, to sort of get that echo uh-huh. um, resonating off the trees and to out into the atmosphere to kind of bring in the ducks, and so you know the cut down call. It's um, it, it really takes a, a, a kind of it's a specialty call. Uh, it takes a lot of air to run. Um, they're loud. Uh, they don't. You know, when you're when you're behind a cut down call, it doesn't doesn't sound the same as a as a j frame at all mm. and so um there's not too many guys on the west that use the cut down mm. i mean it's getting more and more popular um but it, it definitely takes you know a, a special duck caller to be able to run a cut down you know the, the way that that, that like kirk does or yeah. you know, tony vandermeer runs a cut down and uh, or a mondo or you know, those guys you watch on videos. Uh-huh. Um, so, you know, my idea behind a West coast cut down was kind of more like a hybrid between a cut down and a, and a J frame call,
3: uh-huh.
2: uh, you know, I, I developed a, a, like a, a cut down cut. Um, but I wanted, you know, and that's kind of the theme with me. I wanted it something, you know, that the masses could, could actually run. Um, so, and I wanted something that you could make kind of pop, kind of do the cut down thing. Uh You know, I wanted something loud. And so, um, you know, I came out with a West coast cut down. Unfortunately, my cut was, was immediately copied. Uh Uh, And there's a, (laughs) there's a lot of that, you know, that goes on. Somebody got a hold of it, um, you know, in, in, in the Midwest and, uh, immediately copied that cut. And yeah. That's something that goes on a lot in the right. industry. Because if someone playing.
1: likes it and they make calls, they just steal it, I guess.
2: Well I- you think think about it, you know, I started making duck calls from scratch and they sounded horrible in the beginning. And um and it took years and hours and hours and hours and years to to really get it uh where I you know, where I was proficient at killing ducks with it. And you know, you see these guys that a lot of, you know, some guys win world champion and and they're, they're amazing duck callers they are the best in the world. And all of a sudden they, they have this phenomenal duck call. Well, you know what? (laughs) That just doesn't happen by accident. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and then sometimes you see guys that are just incredible machinists and, and these guys have machine shops, but they're horrible duck callers. And so, you know, it's, it's really hard to get, the best of both worlds, mm. you know. um Well,
1: okay, <clears throat> and this is my novice in call making. Obviously, my novice mind. But let me ask you this: When you say they stole my, or you didn't word like that, I can't remember exactly how you said it. But they copied it or whatever your cut. So when you say cut, meaning is that kind of like the whole shape of the cutout and the design? Like, can you explain that a little farther? No,
2: it's like the cut is your is your tone board okay uh, so you know you gotta you gotta when you pull out a a, a duck call insert mm-hmm. you see a reed and a cork and mm-hmm. and that reed hits what's called the tone board mm-hmm. and it's basically a musical instrument
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know if you think about um you know some of these musical instruments that have reeds and everything it's the same concept
3: mm-hmm.
2: but you know every single duck call it is almost impossible to make two duck calls sound exactly the same mm-hmm uh you know to the guys that can tell the difference so i mean i would say the closest i've seen anybody get to being able to replicate the exact sound is obviously letters, you know with their their precision machining and 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 whatnot but you know to to be able to uh you know to to make a a sound um uh, you know, it 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 just takes tons and tons of practice to make it right. Uh, and you know, you you see these pop up guys. You know, uh-huh. here today, gone tomorrow. Yep. There's a lot of that in our industry. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I've I, just in the 12 years I've seen just a ton of guys come and go. Uh-huh. And and it, but it is fun to watch some of these guys that just break out immediately. You know, I'll, I'll name one guy, Josh Raggio. Um, yeah. Yeah, he came out and, you know, he was hand-turning stuff and he's got the name and, you know, the, the, um, he's a damn good call maker and he's, he's got the name and, and kind of the following right out of the gates. And he just, he just exploded, you know, and he was able to even quit his full-time job and, and and really take it to a whole different level and, um, you know, and, and, and that, that's kind of like right around the era that the call collecting really started to get popular. Uh-huh. And, you know, just before our podcast here, I was, I was, uh, I was on Facebook and I was looking at, uh, a page called call nuts with a Z. And there was a, a, a post about, you know, every, Hey, show your collections or whatever. And it is just incredible what guys are doing now with, uh-huh. with duck call collections. Uh-huh. And that's that's really been helpful for the industry and uh, small shop guys. Is that people are collecting calls and and because uh, there's no way to support this many small shops unless we have that many collectors out there.
1: Yeah, right. You don't realize, I guess, how many are collecting. Like I've seen guys on some of these Facebook pages um, that that I follow as well for calls and stuff, and they'll have five of the same color. And, and have 50 different colors, but they have five of each color. And I'm thinking, what in the world? Like if I get one, I mean, I could see you having two, one to work and use, and then one just to keep clean and, you know, never touched, but I'm like five. But I mean, those guys out there, they do that. They spend, I feel like they spend their whole paycheck on calls every week, you know?
2: It's yeah. Kind of and there's, and there's guys that make more money than they know what to do. with. Yeah. Money, and they spend yeah. it on calls and, and, and really they, uh, their call collections become like shrines. If you look at these things they're mm-hmm. they're like these religious shrines that <laughs> that they're displayed on the yeah. on the walls or whatever in their man cave and, Yeah, you know it's like it's like one guy is definitely outdoing the other yeah. in the whole collecting world and it's pretty incredible it's kind of mm-hmm. kind of kind of uh post dates you know the the decoy collector if you remember mm. growing up as a kid and going over to grandpa's house and seeing you know these guys with these massive decoy collections and and, and now you're seeing it with golf with with call.
1: calls. Yeah. Pretty neat. Yeah. The, to ask you some more questions on the cut down thing um, versus J frame or whatever. I, I ain't going to lie. When I seen your cut down on there, I was like, I have to blow that call. Whenever I'm at your next sh- your show or whatever you're at <laughs> or I come to your shop or, or, or whatever, I'm like, I got to get my hands. I'm just curious because... Before last season, when I had Kirk on, I had already ordered one of his calls. Um, I can't even think of the name right now. It, I, I talk about it in one of the podcasts, but I'm not going to lie, Brad. I, Because, like you said, there's not a lot over here on the West Coast. Um, I know it's getting more popular. I know a couple guys around here that have them. I asked Thomas. You can ask my buddy Jake. I would hit my lairs, and, I'm, and I'm not really getting much of a reaction or something. The bird's kind of going away, and multiple times. And I didn't have it on it all on my lanyard all season. But multiple times, I hammered down on that thing, and I can't even blow it properly compared to what guys that blow them all the time. I do have a lot of air, I feel like, because blowing single reed, I've gotten more used to it. But I'm still long ways to go. I don't really want to blow it around people that know how to blow a call like that. But anyways, I hit that thing multiple times, and I'm telling you, the birds flipped a lid. Like, boom. I mean, they're going away. And they turn around, come right back, and we end up shooting. And I'm thinking, was that just luck of the draw? Or is there something to this? Because because of the different sound, I'm wondering they're not – they're used to hearing all these, you know, J-frames, and it's got its own sound. And then you got – over here you got – do you think that's just fluke, or do you think there is something to having a different sound over here on the West Coast with birds?
2: Not at all. I think if, you, if, if you've ever uh, – You know maybe gone and sat on your tailgate At night uh, near a refuge Or Uh um, Got next to a a lake Or a pond with you know 5,000 Mallards on it and just sat there Just sit there for an hour And listen to the To the mallard duck and you will You'll find that every single hen mallard Out there when she hits that You know that Uh Every single one of them sound different Uh It's just like the human voice You know every every duck sounds differently, uh, if you really sit there and listen to them. So I think when you're blowing on a duck call, you know, um, you know, I know a lot of guys in California love to blow a layers, but you know, every duck has a different voice Mm. and every duck hunter has a different voice. So when you get on that duck call, if you have a different voice and you say something that they want to hear, here they come, you know, it's, it's, it's all about what they want to hear and only a duck knows what they want to hear. Uh But when you hit them right with that, with that call, the right tone or the right cadence, and they just do that backflip and come in paddles down. I mean, there's nothing like it in the world. Um, and I think, I think it's just a matter. I mean, I, you know, I hear, I think I heard Kirk talk about how he had one or two calls on his lanyard and, you know, guys carry one or two because they don't like to have all this junk on their lanyard. Yep. But,
1: uh, yeah, I mean, Dave Corley was saying that too.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's that's where I heard it. So so I'm the opposite where I have like five to seven maller calls on my lanyard, and each one of them all sound different. And they all got different tones.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And you know, there's those days where you know the, a, a mauler won't even give you the time of day, no matter what you throw at mm-hmm. it. And then you pick up the one that you don't normally run, maybe a double read or something and you hit it and all of a sudden they're reacting. And it's like, wow, I'm glad I had that call today. <laughs> well, that, wow. That was, that was the difference between, you know, limited ducks and, and two ducks. Yeah. So, um, hmm. so yeah, I think, I think just with the cut down, it's a, it's a different voice. Uh-huh. Uh, it's, you know, a different, it's something different for the guys to hear. And, um, it's probably my one of my least favorite calls to build because I got to, I spent so much time in getting it right, you know? And, uh, uh, but in the end, you know, I'm super stoked when I get that email or, or text message that's like, Hey man, this thing is, is awesome. Mm-hmm. And I get that a lot. And I love, you know, I love that feedback. Yeah. You know, it's one of the things that, that, that keep me going is just hearing, you know, I get it all the time. I get, you know, I just got a, a guy from Washington. I sent up a, a a hawker call to you and He was just like, "Where have you been all my life?" You know, huh. wow, so, that's good uh, feedback. <laughs> it is. It's it's great. So, um, you know, it's one of the things that that keep me motivated and excited to keep doing this.
1: Yeah, I bet it does. Yeah. Now, <clears throat> you, I mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast, you had one, and I'm I'm I know that's not your only one, but you won first place. 2015 California Waterfowl National Callmaker Competition with a bamboo cane duck call, which looks beautiful. It's and if you guys want to see it, he's got all that stuff on his website. What's your favorite? I know you won with that one, but what is your favorite wood for a call, whether it be um, a duck
2: call or whatever? So, so one of the things being the one man show um, is that I, you know, trying to find time. I would love to do you know, wood calls all the time and and go to like the national wild Turkey Federation competition and really go on a national level. Um, I really have a passion for that. Maybe when I get older and and slow down, maybe I'll do that, but you know, right, right now it's, 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 you know, it's, it's more production work. Um, but so I don't get to turn a whole lot of wood. Um, you know, really my favorite wood to, to turn is anything stabilized and stabilized wood is a process where they actually put a block of wood in a, in like a high pressure tank, uh, and impregnate the the wood cells with a, like a type of resin or acrylic. And so what happens is, is you make a duck call out of stabilized wood and you take it out, you know, in five rainy days in a row, uh-huh. so that wood call is not going to expand or contract or change in any way. Uh-huh. You know, so it's it's kind of new technology in the world of, of duck calls. It's been around for a while, but um, you know, it doesn't turn like wood. It kind of you don't get wood chips. You get you get almost like a, a powdery substance, hmm. uh, and they finish really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, and you can stabilize just about any any wood. You know, coca uh African blackwood. Uh-huh. You don't really stabilize those. They're high in oil content. Mm,
1: okay. That's interesting.
2: coca Bola would be my favorite wood to turn, but it, it's, it's like an irritant. Uh, a lot of guys have a hard time turning coca Bola because uh, it irritates their, their respiratory and their eyes and their skin. Really? Um, uh, yeah, it's kind of a nasty wood. Where do they find that at, uh, Brad? Uh, coca Yeah. Is that? Yeah, you can find it, uh, you know, any kind of like specialty wood store will have it. Um. Uh, but mainly online, you know, is, is, uh, uh, where I get it. Uh-huh. I actually bought a, a guy that used to make police batons out of coca Bola for San Francisco police department. Oh, wow. he, had, he had a, he had a shed full of coca So huh. I bought the whole thing and, um, uh, his whole allotment and, you know, I have boxes and boxes and boxes of wood, stabilized wood, coca bola, uh-huh. African black wood. And, uh, it's all in the hope. Of, you know someday being able to find the time to to turn some woods you know i do a few a year uh usually for private guys that that want something really custom for their mm-hmm. collection
3: mm-hmm. you know yeah and
2: uh wow. well it takes time i mean for a really high-end custom wood call with a piano finish you know with with inlays and all the all the goodies i mean i can have 20 hours wow call. Huh. you know, it's it's insane and and you know i don't there's not a flaw on them when they're done. Wow!
3: So
1: I'm and, that's, and that's what's so special about those because of the, the man hours that and the man, the, eye I, yeah, you guys are impressive. I would, I would love to watch you make a call and just watch how the whole process goes into that. It's, it's, it really intrigues me.
2: Yeah. Maybe on another show we could talk about uh, kind of the process of making duck calls, mm-hmm. you know, and like goose calls and stuff. Because uh, you know, there's different ways uh, you know to to make them go about or are having them made. Mm-hmm. You know, there's CNC machines that can do production, and then and there's a whole you know and that and there's a whole level of like finishing them and assembling them, and, you know, putting the band and 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 bot- I mean, there's a there's a whole process that goes into them.
1: Mm. Yeah, know, we definitely got to do that. 100%.
3: If it was
2: easy, everybody would be doing right. it. Right. You know? I, and uh, had I known going into it How how crazy I would have got into it I, I probably wouldn't <laughs> It's been a great experience I mean I have met just the greatest people uh, I've been able to You know uh, visit some Just some phenomenal duck clubs And properties across the state And meet some great people And see their collections and uh, It's just been great It's been a great ride And I wouldn't trade it for the world But um, you know I've given up A lot of weekends i mean a lot of weekends over the last 12 years you know to sit in the shop and and make duck calls and Mm -hmm.
1: your and your calls are guaranteed aren't they just for the listeners
2: you know uh that's the one thing that irks me more than anything is is you know we live in such a throwaway society that um i just man it's so important to me to have good customer service and to have a quality product that you know if something happens and I mean, things happen. I mean, I had a guy send me a half a goose call where he lost the insert. You know, I don't know how he lost. He could have broken the door or whatever. I don't even ask questions, you know, uh-huh. if, you know, just send it back. Uh, you know, I made him pay for the, the cost of the part because uh, he didn't have a good story. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, um, I'm pretty flexible. I'm, I'm, I'm very fair when it comes to, you know, if something goes wrong with your call. Uh, I'll fix it. And uh, a lot of guys send them back in after, you know, I've, I've gotten some that are, you know, eight, nine years old now that they're that starting to come back and just get new, new reads or, or wow. just kind of refurbished or whatever. Mm-hmm. And cool to see those calls and, and uh, bring them back to life. You know. Wow.
1: <clears throat> well, on that note, I had you, I asked you to make a call and, you know, I've gotten better at this because I'm not. Let's see here. This is, I'll say it like this. I'm not creative or imaginative. I know what I like when I see it. And when I do, I'm very like adamant and strong about it. Like I'm maybe a little bit dramatic, like this is the sickest, whatever, you know, some people are really more mild on that and you don't seem to get too excited too often. And I don't for no reason. But when something is awesome, I definitely go on and on about it. And you just made a call and I said, okay. Okay. Cause like, so all my duck mounts in here, a lot of them, a lot of them, I've picked the poses and Travis has done a lot of my birds. He's a very good, um, taxidermist. And I find that I actually, over time, like the ones better that I just let him, I'm like, surprise me, you know, the ones that I didn't get involved in, I actually like them better. So I've been learning to just like, let the artist do their work (laughs) And you you just knocked this spec call out of the park like it's almost like you seen what I was visualizing without me actually visualizing it, and so you made this amazing uh, spec call. I cannot wait to show you guys uh, on Instagram. Probably put some on YouTube or at some point I'm
2: sure it'll be in some videos. And <clears throat> yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, your um, you know your logo with a laser printer is is not the easiest to do, so it took mm-hmm. a little messing around and uh, uh i did i did spend a little extra time on your call because uh you know i wanted it to be special for you and and uh, in fact um you know when i was tuning it you know there's days that you have that you're just you can tune 10 calls and you know on one day and every 10 call is just you know perfect like the best thing to come out of your shop mm-hmm. and then you have days where like yesterday i was tuning your call and i, I you know i I went through two sets of guts and I was like, what is wrong with me today? And so I walked over to my spec call. It's been on my lanyard this year that, that, that we, you know, I, I went and shot with Merlot and those guys and, mm-hmm. and did some spec hunts this year. And it, it was, man, it was like my favorite set of guts everywhere. I took those out of, out of my call and I put them in your call. So, uh, hopefully you're going to continue the legacy with those guys. Oh,
1: and- <laughs> don't put that pressure on me, Brad. I can't, I'm still learning, man. I don't, you, you shouldn't have did that, man. I yeah, those
2: were a good set of guts, man. And, oh uh,
1: dude, don't do your personal guts. You gotta, I don't want that. I wouldn't even know the difference if it was good guts or bad. You're going to put that pressure <laughs> on me now. On this one? I got to work yeah, all off so- season and blow that thing so I can impress somebody come yeah. season oh man. yeah no it's a oh my goodness it's amazing like just the logo on there the color um i mean i guess i could tell everybody you know it's just a poly. like well why don't you explain like what you did on that i mean it's just you're the master here
2: yeah so um <laughs> so all the material i use is is uh, cast acrylic that's kind of the industry standard you know you uh, uh you hear poly the word poly uh, poly acrylic or whatever you know, that's, a it's kind of a lesser, it's a cheaper type of acrylic, but no, we use, uh, we use, um, uh, mainly American made acrylic. Um, there have been, you know, some imported stuff in the past. Um, but you know, this stuff is, this is the best of the best. And, you know, thankfully in the last few years, there's been a new company called Deadshot, uh-huh, um, uh-huh. Deadshot polymers. Uh-huh that have come out and those guys are great they're duck hunters and they've been the best thing for the industry because man it was like a it was like a threshold that this other company had on on everybody and they would just price increase and price increase and then you couldn't they couldn't get the pearls the same in the inch and a half rod as the inch and a quarter or whatever and it was just so frustrating and as soon as these guys at deadshot came along and um you know and they work with they work with individual guys like Like, like you, if you want a call made, you know, you can order pieces of acrylic from these guys, um, to get your custom call made. And that was never available to the public, you know, until the last couple of years with these guys. And they're just awesome, man. They're just, they're just duck hunters like you and I, and and they do everything they can to, to make it happen for you. And, um, you know, the, the, their color combinations, they, they do these limited runs and, Mm -hmm. you know. Uh, unfortunately I don't have a CNC machine in my, in my garage yet. Uh, that's in the works. That's a whole nother What, what story, is that? It's a, com- uh, comput- computer, numerically controlled machine that basically does production of, of, uh, you know, it's like a lathe. That does oh, nice.
1: It does it right for you to the exact specs. Yeah. Huh? Oh, wow. Yeah. So. And your, cause um, your hand, every single call is hand made by you, well, right? It's,
2: it's hand, no so so every single part is is done locally at a cnc shop Uh and then it goes on my it goes on my lathe and then there's a whole process of like you know taking out all the imperfection the machining marks and uh sanding and hand polishing and Uh uh, it's quite a process and it's very time consuming it's very redundant um but um it's the only way to get consistency you know um, it, I still love to hand turn and I do it once in a while and, um, you know, I do it for a friend or whatever, yeah. uh, hand turn something, but it's just so time consuming and, um, you know, my time is better spent, you know, basically perfecting what, what a machine can, can initially kick out and then, and then you finish it by hand, uh, on the lathe at home. I don't know if you recently saw my, uh my Instagram post, where kind of I show the picture of the lathe and the video there, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, and that thing has just seen, it's <laughs> like it's been through a war, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, where every single part goes, um, and gets, you know, gets the final touches before it, um, it, it, it gets boxed up and sent away.
1: Yeah. And you're, <clears throat> I was going to tell you too, you really got your photography of your calls down. Cause I mean, <clears throat> I I already can tell what that looks like just because I do photography too. But like that, the way you got that set up with your lighting is perfect. I definitely wouldn't change a thing. And you made this, <clears throat> I don't, I was going to say, cause I know I'm going to do some stuff with it. And when I reels are crazy on Instagram right now, and I'm going to do some like B roll, slow-mo cinematic stuff with that call. But I'm like, man, it's hard to beat that picture. You, you got of my call. It's just the lighting's perfect. I mean, you every call you look at of yours on your website or on your instagram it's like okay i want to buy that call it just it <laughs> pops and it looks so good and so custom you do really yeah. good at that too
2: yeah yeah and like i said i'm always learning i'm always trying to improve you know and the call of 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 2023 is not the call of you know um 2015 or 2016 mm. 17 you know it's yeah. it's just a, an evolving process and hopefully uh you know, a few years from now, uh, it'll, it'll be even better. Yeah. And uh, I got some new products coming out. Um, you know, uh, there's going to be a half inch spec coming out this year. Mm. Um, and, and there's going to be a new duck call within the next 24 months. Oh, nice. You know, that's going to kind of, kind of fit, fit that, uh, traditional West coast, uh, persona, so mm-hmm. to speak. i mm-hmm. so. um, kind <clears> of <throat> improve this could
1: get it this could get on a crazy uh conversation too or lengthy and that's totally fine but <clears throat> how do you think this season this coming next season will be with with all the water we got in the snowpack
2: well i'm already hearing um i'm already hearing that there's there's only 30 percent water allotments going out to the farmers this year i, I don't know how accurate that was but uh, i was at uh you know, a dinner on uh, on Saturday night in Sacramento, yeah. and one of the guys was saying that he heard from his farmer buddy that they were they were only going to give out thirty percent allotment this year. And I'm thinking to myself, well, this is crazy. You know, oh, like, wow. where's it going to end? Um, so, I think what's going to happen is that you know the 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 fields have to dry out for these guys to get in mm-hmm. there and plant their rice and everything, um, and they're going to be dumping water out of Shasta. Uh, pretty soon you know that snow melt uh-huh. and i guess the biggest fear for me is they're going to dump water before the farmers need the water uh for the rice uh-huh. you know it'd be in a perfect world it would be farmers are ready to take water and they got to dump out of shasta and here's you know all this abundance of water and you know we could have you know that that would be a perfect world but uh-huh. i think what's going to happen is they're going to dump shasta because shasta's like 50 feet from full and we're gonna have this huge snow melt and they're gonna dump shasta and the farmers aren't gonna be ready for water you know and yep. that's that's kind of that's kind of what what i'm getting um right now and, and so i've heard numbers as low as 30 percent allotment. so wow. i don't know you know like uh i've never seen this you know, 82, 83, we saw this 90, I want to say 96, 97. We saw the Valley flood like this. Um, maybe there was another year in between there mm-hmm. um, that we saw, you know, some, um, some flooding in the Valley and the Valley didn't really flood. Like it did in 82 and 83. What was it like then? I am cur- i haven't heard about that one. Oh at- <clears throat> man. I mean, you know, like, uh, like my area in, there in Lambertville was completely underwater all the, all the creeks and everything had gone over the refuges were flooded. I mean, you couldn't even get to Lamberville, um, you know, either through Princeton or, or high I five or anything. Uh-huh. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't see that this year. Um, and that's, I think that's just, you know, over the years, the better, you know, uh, CWA and DU have put in, you know, tons and tons of water, uh, you know, water diversion of water, water pipes and, and whatnot. And, uh, I just think the reason that the valley didn't flood is because over the, you know, the last mm-hmm. 40 years, we've, we've made huge improvements.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Um, so, um, I don't know, you know, I think, uh, I think we should really be concerned about the pintail population. You know, I, I yeah. recently saw <clears throat> some numbers on that. It's getting, it's getting really close to the, to the minimums, uh, you know, where they might, we might see a complete pintail closure.
1: But Brad, Uh, I got a question for you on that. Why was our biologist two to three years ago before COVID started saying that that we might go, and I I heard this straight from his mouth, that we might go to three, which to me is excessive, but saying we might go to three to four pintails per hunter. And I'm thinking nobody wants, I don't feel like nobody wants to shoot that many pintails. Yeah, well.
2: You know, I, I think they were looking at, like, the model they were using, the national model they were using. Um, they were looking at, at kind of changing that or modifying it for the Pacific Flyway. And um, um, you've had the uh, the uh, – you've had a guest on your, your – um, and I can't think of his name, from CWA. Oh, um, yeah. Um, it'll take me a second. I'll think of it. <clears throat> okay. But he uh, – uh, you know, he's he's kind of the – the regulator, mm-hmm. the guy goes to Washington all the time, and mm-hmm. um, you know he. Uh, uh, I think I think he would know more than I would, but from my understanding, there was a there was a model uh, that they were trying to, you know, kind of kind of uses the Pacific Flyway model, not the the whole national model. Yeah, yeah. But you know, we're still on that national model, and uh, um, you know the numbers are right. Are right there mm-hmm. you know um, and I don't understand state.
1: that though because I'm not trying to cut you off but I don't understand why they're doing that because every state uh, has their own set of regulations even though it's a federal bird waterfowl is every state like you know take Virginia Virginia for instance four ducks okay and they can only shoot two mallards one hen or two drakes and that's all they can shoot and then you know, and then a law states, okay, five birds, uh, bonus duck. So five mallards and maybe a bonus bird outside of the mallard. So I don't understand why they're trying to say why we can't. They're making it. They're making this a national thing or a countrywide thing instead of a a flyway because we are stacked with pentels, you know, on the yeah. west on the west side and, and in the Pacific flyway. So why aren't they saying okay? You're going to do two pintails or one pintail, whatever, and the rest are, we might have to shut that off. What's,
2: you know, why is that like well, that? So in the 1950s, there was approximately 10 million uh, pintails, uh-huh. you know, nationally, like, like that was the national survey. Um, I don't have the exact figures, but I think we're somewhere around 1.75 million. And I think the, the threshold is somewhere around one and a half million pintails. Mm-hmm. Uh, my numbers could be skewed, but somewhere in I, they that told they said we're 30,000 off of being you, shut down. Yeah. So we're, uh, yeah, so we're close.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So, um, you know, there was a time where, you know, you know, we had 3 million pintails, um, uh, in my lifetime, three and a half, four million, half, 4 million, I think. Mm. So, um, so until that number goes back up again, I think we're just going to continue seeing, pintail regulations you know um and and most you got to remember too most of the habitat uh, yeah. breeding ground are in the pacific flyway yeah <clears throat> so um but you know i'm starting to see you know and hear you know more guys shooting them kind of in that central flyway
3: uh-huh. so
2: that's a good sign yeah. you know but, but the numbers the models they're just not they're just not adding up. And, you know, we have to use science in today's world to, mm-hmm. to get anything done, not just what we see. So um, I think we're just stuck with, with what we got for right now. And hopefully it doesn't go below the the long-term, you know, um, low point mm-hmm. that they, they allow. Because yeah. if we see that, we're going to see complete closure.
1: Well, and Travis made a point the other day. He said it's <clears throat> obviously... Probably nesting in habitat is the biggest reason, but if you'll notice, and I know you do, but when you see a group of pintail, what do you see? You see seven drakes, one hen, eight drakes, uh-huh. one hen, 10 drakes, two hens. So he, Travis was saying, it's just, it's gotta be that something's going on with the hens, whether they're getting killed in the net while they're nesting or molting or like something in there, because there's just never, yeah. the ratio ain't good.
2: You know that the predators up there it's the you, predators yeah you, you know it's hard to it's hard to say I mean the biologists really have a lot more insight on that and mm-hmm. um, you know it'd be great to hear from that uh the the guy that does all the banding and everything I've been trying to
1: get a hold of him it feels almost impossible but I'll keep reading yeah so. well he's
2: he's a busy guy I mean you yeah. gotta hand him give him credit he's out there uh, oh yeah doing the dirty work so yeah. you know we appreciate that and uh, we, we love to see his Instagram posts and all the, mm-hmm. all the different birds, different counts and.
1: Birdologist. You know. I think. Yeah. 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 I know it's, I'll get him at some point. Just got to hit, get the, get the contact there. Yeah. He had a lot of good stuff to say, I'm sure. But,
2: um. Yeah. And there's, there's guys over at CWA that have a lot of, you know, good insight and everything. And, um, you know, um. John Carlson would be another great host to have. Uh, He's the president of CWA and, you know, he's, he's got a lot of information and, you know, that's one thing I've learned in the last 10 years is these, these older guys that have been doing it way longer, you and I, and, and that are deep involved. And I mean, they, they're like an open book, Titus. I mean, you you know, these young guys that, that are walking around with their chest puffed out and think they know it all. They ought to link up with some of these old fellows and, and listen to what, what they got to say. Cause, uh, it, you know, there's, there's a lot of, lot of knowledge out there and there's a lot of wow, badass yep that are in their seventies that are out there, you know?
1: And that's uh, the guys I'm looking for. Like, cause you, I was em, kind of envious of you earlier when you talked about longer ago, you hooking up with some of these older guys. I mean, that's gold because like our, my, my pastor that I took on that hunt, he wasn't a waterfowler. Um, so I didn't, I'm not getting that knowledge from him from that, but like when it comes to big game, he knows so much. It's unbelievable. And I'm like, man, I'm on the lookout to find that, that leader, that um, somebody that I could look up to that's in their like you said, in their seventies or, and I, and I, I'm getting that more and more though. I will tell you that like maybe they're guys like, just like yourself or even a, another friend of mine, uh, that I've recently met that he's in his, I think he's mid fifties or something, mid, late late fifties. But I'm definitely growing that group of people in my life that can mentor and like teach me stuff. Uh, you've already said stuff in this podcast. I never thought of it's like, I want that, you know, like you said, I like kind the guys, my age and stuff and everything. And that's, that's just what you do. But like, if I can get in the hotel pocket of some of these guys You know, you're talking about, like you said, 70 years of experience that I'm just drinking up as fast as I can, you know, when I meet those guys.
2: No, I've been really fortunate. You know, one of my main hunting partners is in his 70s and he's just, he's been like, you know, almost like a dad to me. And, you know, we've, we've become, you know, really close waterfowl hunting partners. And I've been fortunate, you know, he's taken me to places that I would never in a million years imagine i've gotten to meet guys like peyton manning or, mm-hmm. you know I've been able to build a duck hall for peyton manning and you know stuff like thats just uh uh it's it's just you know it, it really is is about a, a friendship more than just a hunting partner and mm-hmm. um you know just to have uh friends like that that are older and you know that are like almost like mentors and even though i'm 50 years old i still have a mentor in my mm-hmm. life you know yeah uh, it's incredible, you know, teach, teach me how to bass fish and, um, uh, you know, teach me, teach me lessons of life that I never even thought of. And, and, uh, y- you know, and I, 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 even for guys that are in their twenties and thirties to have, you know, somebody that's in their you know forties and fifties, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's just, it's really kind of a great, um you know, a great thing to have and oh man. um, I've been fortunate. I know a lot of these guys. A lot of I've got a lot of older friends that are in the, you know, sixties and seventies that are just waterfowl maniacs. Mm -hmm. And they're still going out and crushing it super hard. And that's awesome. (laughs) Well and that's
1: and not everybody appreciates that, but I think as you get older you appreciate that and respect that more. And it's just like I just hang on every word they say because they don't even think they're speaking wisdom. Just like Kirk Kirk McCullough He's saying stuff so nonchalantly and I'm like thinking, I'm writing stuff down as fast as I can as he's speaking. And I have I had to listen to that podcast over again because there was stuff I missed, you know? Because oh, yeah. they're so light about it. like like just like I said, this podcast right here, you've just said stuff nonchalantly. I'm like, Man, I never even thought of that before. So
2: I'm well, interesting, those guys, those Arkansas guys, you know, like their mentality, a lot of them are, you know, timber, timber, timber. And then like guys like Kirk all of a sudden are you know, Hey, I don't even hunt Arkansas anymore. <laughs> that's kind of like, that's almost like me. I hardly hunt California anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, it's, uh, just going out and experiencing new, new, uh, new ground and new places to go and, and meet new people. I mean, it's just so much fun, you mm-hmm. know, and it is walking out on your, on your paved, uh, rock paved pathway out to your blind every day <laughs> with the decoys in it, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and that's great, too. That definitely has its place. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, hey, you know, if you can pull it off and and, and go see the world, man, I, I couldn't recommend it more. I've been so fortunate to be able to do it and and meet just tons of great people all uh, all over. <laughs> all over you are
1: giving me duck pressure right now <laughs> i know i know <laughs> we sound like we're it's uh, but it's more yeah the way you speak of it is how i feel about it you're just passionate about it this we are
2: yeah man yeah and there's there's a lot of young guys coming up that are super passionate
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know and uh it's just kind of almost like uh I remember when I was young and listening to these old farts talk about, Oh, it was, yeah, this, and that back in the old days. And you know, I'm starting to find myself start talking like that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But, uh, no, there is that like, like, uh, like Ramsey Russell, you know, Ramsey Russell, if if you've never listened to that guy, he's probably the best Mm -hmm. storyteller.
3: Yeah. You know,
2: and, um, and, uh, he always says, uh, you know, this is the good, the good old days right now is the good. Yes. Old days. Yes. So it really is. And, and, an aspect, but, uh, um, you know, as we go out and, 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 learn and, and, you know, try to do good for the uh, resource, you know, um, and, and make things better is, is what's important, mm-hmm. you know, the whole scheme of things. And, yeah. um, so it's been a, it's been a great ride and, uh, I'm always eager to learn more and, and try new places. And, uh, I really enjoy seeing, uh, these, these private duck clubs that are, you know, being developed and I, you know, I don't even, some of these, I, I just bring a duck call. I don't, I don't shoot or whatever. I enjoy calling for guys and I enjoy seeing, you know, some of these ex, just insane properties that are out there mm-hmm. that I had no idea, mm-hmm. you know? there is tightness. There are some probably a lot more than we think, huh? <laughs> you know,
1: huh? a lot more than we think there is. I bet, huh?
2: Oh, a lot more, a lot more. And even outside of California, there's some, there's some ranches out there that are just mind blowing, you know, wow. that, that guys have had in their families or whatever. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, it's really neat to go see them. You know, you don't always have to bring a case of shotgun shells and go light up the skies just to even just drive on a, a guy's ranch and, and look around is really special yeah. to see what the, you know, what they have and what they've developed. And, yeah. and, uh, you know, there's so much more waterfowl than just pulling the trigger. And yep. it's a lot of years to learn that mm-hmm. and, and, uh, see all that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> Are you big on kind of documenting stuff and taking notes? Do you do that Not at all? really.
2: I mean, uh, My buddy does, he, you know, he takes notes and stuff and, um, not really, you know, I'm kind of big, you know, if there's one thing I'm really big on and this is a whole nother podcast and, uh, I'm, I'm pretty well versed on it is, is blind accidents. You know, that's something that doesn't get talked about a lot and, uh, something that fascinates me, something I've been part of, you know, that, uh, thankfully I haven't been you know, the cause of the
3: accident, Mm -hmm.
2: but, uh, I've been in, uh, you know, you spend enough time in a duck blind, there's going to be an accident one day. And, Mm. uh, so, um, there's some really interesting stories out there about blind accidents, Mm. you
1: know, that um, is, that would be a good topic because I've never had nothing like that on my podcast. And that's something that does need to be talked about. Actually, I'm writing that gun safety. Yeah. Um, you know, (laughs) yeah, because there's a lot of guys (laughs) that don't handle a gun properly. Uh, no. I've seen guys that think, uh, it's unloaded and it's on safe. It's like, I don't care. I don't, that gun cannot be pointed at me. I don't care if it's loaded or not,
2: you know, yeah. It's it's like, amazing how, how few accidents there are with,
1: with I know. what
2: you, what you see in pictures and whatever. But, um, yeah, over the years I've kind of, you know, I don't take logs, but I do take mental notes of mm-hmm. blind accidents and I have, you know, dozens of stories that I've, I've heard and kept, you know, kind of, kind of on my mind Uh over the years. You know, there's, there's been some real tragic ones in California and, um, there's been some that could have been tragic, but lessons learned, Uh you know, and that's, that's, so I don't really take a whole lot of logs, um, especially like bird number logs. Uh, I have a friend that does, you know, that's kind of in our group, but, um, um, it's, I'm I'm most intrigued by blind accidents and what I can learn from that and then pass on to other. Uh-huh. Yeah. You know, there's things, you know, uh, just as simple as, as wearing gloves. Yeah. Gloves, are like the number one accidental discharge in my book, uh, uh, cause of, of accidental discharges is, is wearing gloves. Like uh. you get in the duck blind with me and you're wearing gloves. It's either you take the gloves off or, uh, <clears throat> I'm leaving. <laughs> yeah. Cause, uh, they're not safe. Yeah. They're yep. not. Safe. Hmm. There, nobody out there in the world that convince me that a pair of glo- wearing a pair of gloves and shotgunning is safe. Yeah. So. Yeah. So that's just one of many. Right. You know, we
1: could. We'll definitely. We're gonna definitely do that. I'd something. Um. I. I'm so big on that. I don't know why I haven't done more of it or talked more of it. And made it the, the main focus. But we will definitely do that because there's a lot of good hunters and young guys out there or n- newer older guys that definitely is a good reminder for all of us. So we'll definitely yeah. do that. But how many
2: times you've been in the duck line and, uh, and birds coming in and you hear click. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, we're going to have a talk after this, after this tuck dies. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we're deep on, into an hour. So I think we'll, we'll end it here, Brad. I appreciate again, you coming on and, this has been a- yeah.
2: Anytime, Adis. Uh, appreciate your shows. I you know I don't I don't know if you know this, but uh, I spent a lot of late nights and a lot of hours in the duck Hall shop, and uh, I listen to I listen to most of your podcasts. I, I do listen to others, but uh, um, yours are yours are definitely entertaining, and they're always mixed up with something new and different. So appreciate those.
1: No, I appreciate that, and um, I I can't wait till that call gets here. And and guys, I really everybody that listening. Do me really a favor and I you won't regret it, is there's some pages you follow and it's just some of it's good and some of it's not. You're not gonna get that with Brad. If you like to look at calls, custom calls, spec calls, duck calls, goose you know, any type of goose calls, like you said, brand calls. It's just one of those things that are satisfying to look at. Definitely please go follow Brad on Instagram. All of you that are that are on Instagram, go follow him on there or uh, Facebook and then, um, check out, you looking for a call. I, I highly suggest it. And I know a lot of really good callers that uses calls and, and highly speak of them. So, and, uh, just great conversation, Brad, appreciate it. Like very, very yeah, interesting. It. And I that's... definitely want to have you on again soon to talk about those safety, you know, things, because that's huge. That's
2: I do. I have a one. lot of, lot of stories of, of, uh, blind accidents and, uh, gun safety issues that I, I love to share with everybody. Yeah. I, I
1: mean, it, it doesn't even feel like we've been going as long as we have. Honestly, it, time flew. So check him out, guys. WillowCreekCustomCalls.com. WillowCreekCustomCalls on Instagram, Facebook. You can go to, like I said, to the site. Check him out. Hit him up. Get something going before this next season comes. And he's super backed up. Or <laughs> right, let's try to back him up. Let's put it that way. So thanks, Brad, again. Appreciate it.
2: All right, Titus, thank you guys.
1: All right, guys, thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one. We're excited to score, baby!